Blog Talk Radio. Chatting with Sherry is presented by the writers and illustrators of the future. They've been providing a means for new and budding writers to have a chance for their creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. I am really excited tonight to welcome the amazing actor, Alexandra Tidings. She is best known as Aphrodite and Xena and in Hercules. But she's a really diverse actress. She's played a lot of different characters. She's also very active politically. She's a really, really sweet, wonderful lady, and I was very excited to chat. This is a recorded show, so please don't call in. Here's Alex. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. You're uh, such a good actress, and you're so talented. I'm I've always wanted to interview you, so this is very exciting. Oh, that's very, very sweet. Thank you. I'm very happy to be talking to you today. Thank you. Um, For our audience, uh, Alex is a a very talented, diverse actress, but she's best known for Xena. She played Aphrodite. Um, How did it come about that you got that part? (laughs) Um, well, I first was I, the the role originated on Hercules on the other series, mm-hmm. um, and it was just supposed to be one episode, and um, and then they brought me back again, and then they brought me back again, and then they brought me back another time, and then Lucy, I don't know if you remember Lucy Lawless who plays Zena broke her hip, yeah. um, and Jay Leno. It was early. It was like, yeah, the second season, maybe. Yeah. Um, and so they brought me in sort of at the very last minute. They wrote her out of most of the show, um, of most of that episode of the show, and, and brought me down um, and c- kind of quickly rewrote it and brought me in. And uh, and that was my first episode on Xena. Again, just one episode. And then it kept going for, you know, the next five or six years. <laughs> Is that the one where um, you put a spell on the scroll and everything she write, uh, Gabrielle writes comes true? I think we should put that question out for your listeners and see who knows the answer. <laughs> I don't remember. You don't remember what your first one was. Okay, all right. It wasn't in my head. It was the same character, so it was like that third one. I think so. I think it was me and Ted Raimi. And I think it was Aphrodite kind of messing with Joxer, I think. So that's um, that one was called for him, The Bell Tolls. Um, I only, it's so funny that you bring this up because I hadn't thought about this in years. And sometimes I get kind of busted because I'll be, you know, at an event or something and someone will ask me, you know, in that one episode, mm-hmm. why did Aphrodite da 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 And I'm like, oh my God, I don't, this, you know, you realize we did this 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, I mean, I remember if you asked me an emotional question, you know, what was Aphrodite going through when she had that really messed up relationship with Caligula? I can tell you all about that. But if you ask me, like, plot stuff, what, why did Cupid do this? Oh, gosh, I don't remember. Ask him. Um, <laughs> I think it's all that. actors. I think all actors are like that. I think it's a job, and once you're done... It's done. <laughs> the plot is really not our job. 
I mean, it is our job because obviously characters are the ones who who motivate the plot and and push it forward. But that's really the writers are figuring out that stuff, and we're just kind of doing it. We're I mean, I, in in the way I approach my work, I'm figuring out, like, the why behind the what. So the emotional arc of the character, the relationship, what she wants, what she's trying to get, um, who she's trying to get it from, all those kinds of things. Um, so I can tell you all about that, but in terms of sort of what, what happened, what kingdom was having a battle with who? <laughs> Watching Lucy and Renee being silly, it just reminds me going to the conventions and watching them being silly on the stage. <laughs> it was, it's so funny because it's it's people think of it as an action show, you know, and it was obviously. But um, and those those women worked so hard, you know, um, Lucy and Renee, and also their stunt women, you know, they they were that's hard hard labor. Um, long hours and you know it's it's hard it's long hours anyway on the set and it's uncomfortable to be in hair and makeup and costume all day long and not able to kind of like you know scratch your nose if your nose is itchy like all that kind of don't mess up the costume you know you know how it's uncomfortable to wear like a prom dress and then imagine wearing a prom dress like all day long having lunch in it you know taking time off having a nap you know all that stuff I mean, cue the tiny violence for us having to have a nap. But um, <laughs> but it's, un- it's like it's sort of physically tiring in a weird way that you don't really experience much in the rest of life. Um, and then add to that, on top of that, like I didn't really do very, I did a few fight scenes. I actually really enjoyed them because I'm a dancer um, by background. So I like that all that choreography. But, um, but those guys, Lucy and Renee and, you know, um, the the guys to um, uh, Kevin Smith and bless him and you know everybody all those guys who did all those fights they just on top of what I thought was pretty physically draining then they're also doing these major fight scenes and and you know every fight scene you see not only are they doing them take after take but they're also doing the choreography which is learning them just like learning a dance. So there's just like all that time when I'm kind of resting or getting my makeup touched up, they're working with the stunt team, um, learning this choreography. It's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. My, uh, I have all all respect for those guys. They work hard, long hours. Yeah, they were amazing. Um, yeah. I actually have been enjoying watching Lucy in My Life is Murder. Um, she, she's, um, she gets to be 
the tough lady, but she also gets to be the heart of gold, and she doesn't have to fight or be crucified. So I'm sure she's very <laughs> happy. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Uh-huh. The last um, film I was in is a little independent um, sort of thriller. I think it's, it's like I think psychological thriller is the the best way to describe the genre. But I play a doctor who explains the weird kind of slightly paranormal stuff that's happening. So even though it's a, it's a thriller, lots of people get murdered, but I I didn't have to get bloody. I didn't even have to run. All I had to do was put on a white coat and, like, talk a bunch of medical speak. It was great. It's, that's the easy way to do that, that I love kind of genre. I think yeah. one of the best parts to get in a murder mystery series or a thriller is to be the coroner. Because all you have to yeah. do is say, well, this is what happened to this person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it appears to be there's something strange here. Yeah, exactly. It's so fun. Oh, to just put on a white coat and, and, and maybe glasses and be very intellectual and that's it. <laughs> Act like you know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you do have to know, be able to say, not know, but say the medical gobbledygook. Oh, my God. And that's not, I mean, there, that's no joke, you know. Um, there was a time in the 90s when everybody was making, um, all the action movies, it seemed, were um, disaster movies. And I went up for a lot of those movies. And first of all, big props to action action actors in general. Um, and it's not, that's not really my genre. It's not my favorite kind of movie to watch. But... Um, like to to look at Tom Cruise doing a scene where he's hanging out of a helicopter about to die and screaming at somebody and trying to wrestle the thing and all of that um, I haven't done a ton of that stuff but I've done a little bit especially at the beginning like at Hercules I did a bunch of um, you know stuff where I, I came out of a clamshell and I windsurfed the clamshell in to shore or I did some water skiing on the backs of dolphins and the actual reality of doing those scenes is so bizarre and strange you're in a completely green room and you're standing on two boxes and you're kind of pretending to be kind of bouncing up and down while there's somebody's holding a fan in your face and someone else is holding a bucket full of soap suds that they're kind of occasionally throwing at you <laughs> your imagine in your imagination you're doing all of this stuff. So then add to it, you know, with an action show, add to it the you know, the, the utter dire emergency of someone's gonna die right now and, and yelling at them and then with the with the disaster movie, you know, somebody's a scientist in that moment. So they're you know, they're they're doing all of that crazy green screen super high stakes worst moment of your life acting and also saying all this really complicated gobbledygook. There's a forty seven mile blue blah, 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 you know, and, oh boy, I auditioned for some of those those ones. I did not get them bit. It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to say that stuff. It's hard to say that stuff anyway. We call it ex- exposition in the business. Like somebody, I was just telling my daughters about this the other day. Like some, some poor fool is going to get the ex- exposition at the beginning of an episode where like in case you haven't been watching every single episode and so you don't know what's going on, someone's going to tell them, tell the audience, well, here's where we are and here's why this is important. 
if we don't get the blah 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 blah, somebody's gonna die. And it's it's just so strange because people don't really talk like that. No, you know, because <laughs> everybody in the scene already knows that information. It's for the audience's benefit. I find it really difficult um, as an actor. I mean, it's not really difficult, but it's like it's sort of the least fun part of. Um, it's one of the least fun things to say because it, it's just. So it feels so um, artificial because it's not the way people normally talk. Yeah, that's why so, uh, sidekicks were invented, probably. Yeah, just so exactly. someone can explain they, everything. Well, <laughs> but Hercules, don't go to the thing right now. The, you know, the Gorgonzola is going to come out of the, you know, volcano and everybody's going to die, <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> Gorgonzola. Gorgonzola, of course, is a monster, very frightening monster. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, I just imagining. I, I for a moment I was thinking of the cheese. <laughs> well, no, that is exactly what I said. I said cheese, and so that's why I'm not the best person to cast. No, uh, I just think it's <laughs> funny. There's a monster somewhere in there that sounds like Gorgonzola, but it's, uh, it's probably got a different name. Well, there was a a Gorgon, but that, I thought that was Star Trek. Was it? Yeah. It, it was something Kirk had a bite in one of the classic tracks. Oh, really? Yeah. But I don't there remember it in, in Hercules, but I don't have a, a, one of those memories that remembers every single thing. I, oh, wait, I have friends who do, but I don't. The, uh, she was a... Do you remember Medusa was a... I want to say she was a Gorgon, but that wasn't it. Oh, gosh. Yep, see... This is why you ask somebody else. <laughs> Not me, because I don't remember. Medusa was a... Well, there was... I think she, sisters were all a particular kind of... Oh, I know what you're talking about. I'll, I'll, I'll think of it as soon as we hang up. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. They actually used that in a, an, another show... Um, God, you know when you get older, you forget things. I know, I know. Here we are. But there was a there was a series of movies that um, it was a modern take on the classic movie, and the, the the kids were demigods, and they were all in school together, and as they were saving the world, what? Percy Jackson. That's it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Medusa, and they did mention what she was and and everything, and it was really cool. But uh, but totally blanked out. I couldn't remember the name of the movie, so I'm not really liable to remember the name of the the type of monster they are. <laughs> Medusa was. Medusa is actually a really interesting character. I I wrote a uh, I started to write a play. I did a short. I wrote a short play and directed. Um, that was kind of inspired by uh, Christine Blasey Ford and Medusa um, and kind of combining their stories together because what I, what I, I what I never knew about Medusa she was always this horrible monster that you know the, the good guys have to kill but what I didn't know is that um, her origin story is a rape story yep and and she was um, an innocent it, victim of everybody yes and then she got turned into this horrible monster 
because she got raped, right? Right. And then, and then everybody wants to kill her because she's this horrible monster, and then she gets beheaded, and then her head gets used as a weapon. It's just such a shocking, you know, the, the punishment of the woman who's been raped, it, it, like, all the way back to the ancient Greeks. It's really, it's really wild, and we don't know that. Like, I grew up thinking Medusa was a terrible, horrible, evil monster who wants to kill people, not, like, some poor girl who got raped and then got turned into this awful monster and exiled. I think, wasn't um, it, I think yeah. it was Zeus raped her, and then Hera tor- turned her into Medusa, and she was a, a very beautiful girl before yeah. she was raped. Right, yes, which is why she was raped, and then what inspired the jealousy. But I heard it was Athena, actually, not Hera, which is a different twist on the story, because Athena is... Um, and I'm, I'm going into ancient Greek, not uh, Athena in, in our oh, shows. Oh, I know. I'm t- I, I, that's what I was trying to remember. Uh, is it Athena? It, I heard it was Athena, um, which is interesting because she's the goddess. She's the goddess who's associated with the intellect. Yeah. And with war and armor. And she also sprang out of Zeus's head, right? She didn't have a mother. So she's sort of like this masculinized goddess or I would say goddess associated with the patriarchy right with Athens with um, intellectual life which then was a very male pursuit women weren't part of that Um, with Zeus she didn't even have a mother you know she didn't even come out of a womb she was born out of the head Um, and she's the one who just took down Medusa and and turned her into this monster and, and exiled her to go live by herself which is just so It's so horrible. Yeah, yeah, there goes the sisterhood, you know. I mean, and you can tell that all these things were written by men. It's just like Aphrodite was born from a seashell. I mean, right. it, it, it yeah. was so obviously a male-oriented thing. And it's what's yeah. really sad about classic Greece, and I yeah. didn't find this out until I was in college, was that before the men took over, it was a very feminine society. Okay, wait, tell me about this, because I know about, tell me more. I, I know about a few things, but I'm, so this is pre, pre, pre what we think of as classic, I mean, because the Greeks were around for many, many, many years, and there's sort of different iterations, right, of different right. epochs, I guess. This is before um, Athens rose. This is before. This is when they were scattered city states and stuff uh-huh. like that. But yeah, there was. Um, it was a. I forgot what they call it. A female-oriented society. Matriarchal. Mary. Thank you. Yeah. One of those days. So it's um. So the goddess cults was known throughout, um, pretty much uh, uh, throughout not just Greece, but most of the ancient world. And even Egypt had uh, a strong goddess cult, Isis. Oh, yeah. Isis, yeah. Um, this was considered the Isis of Greece. I can't remember. They, I don't even think they g- gave her a name, or they knew her name, because, or they haven't, you know, they haven't, they didn't have, they haven't found it the name of her, but they found all the the statues to her. And uh-huh. 
they were like in um, uh, different parts of it was all throughout Greece uh, it, they think that that society is part of there are several different theories one of the theories is that society is what um, the legend you know the thing Atlantis Atlantis that that oh, society is what Atlantis part of what one of the ones that Atlantis is from is the right. same society that created the goddess cult that had the ancient goddess. It's actually if you see the goddess statue, it uh -huh. sort of looks like a snowman with boobies. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm I, I'm sure you must the have Venus, seen the Venus. Um, What's it called? The Venus of, of Willendorf? Yeah. Is it is? Yeah. 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 It, it, that's basically yeah. what she... Um, but it was like, it was a huge cult. Um, right. And then the men came and decided, no, no, we're going to be the ones who are the leaders. <laughs> All y'all going to go back inside. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there were some women that, that broke through. Um... I mean, you know about uh, Sappho, but there was Phryne, there was uh, 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 there was a whole bunch of them that were very strong women that that told their stories and 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 broke through the male binding, but they were thought yeah. of as like aberrations to the right. Greeks. Well, the Sappho story is so interesting. I actually did a podcast with on the History Is Gay podcast. Um, all about Sappho, which was really interesting to me because I hadn't really learned that much about her. Um, and she wrote a lot about Aphrodite. Mm -hmm. um, but she, you know, she was from a very wealthy class and um, and sort of like that may have been one of the ways that she kind of got away with doing what she was up to um, was that she just had so much money and prestige that she was able to get away with it. Um, which we we kind of see throughout history a little bit. Like um, I don't know if you've seen. There's a show um, coming out of England right now called Gentleman Jack. Oh, I love that was, show. Yes. Isn't it so great? It is yeah. super. It's, it's the best. It's the best. I love it. I hope it is going to be re um, come back the next season, isn't it? I mean, I know everything's yeah. frozen right now, but everything's frozen right now, and. Um, you know, I was just reading about guidelines. You know, they're trying they're trying to come up with guidelines that everyone can agree are safe and healthy and also doable. And and one of the things people are saying is, you know, not so much um, nudity, not so much sex, not so much violence, because all of those are, you know much more intimate and therefore much more dangerous for the actors and I kind of laughed to myself and I was like how is HBO going to make anything <laughs> <laughs> oh that's true it sort of reminds me of the what their reaction was to the AIDS epidemic they the they um, once they realized that it was in a curse or something weird well, they I mean, did. I don't know. Did anybody, I mean, I think people are still saying that. I think not everyone has realized that yet, but that's a different story. But, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just, no, so, I understand I, what I, you're I, saying. I know, I understand completely what you're saying. But what I, what I was trying, um, they start, the television industry and the film industry 
kind of pulled back from all the, um, for a very short time, about the sexual stuff, you know, everybody's free and easy and everybody's having affairs left and right and stuff, because in the 70s, I mean, they were, I they had pornographic film for the first time. Right, right, right. Oh, interesting. Um, so I, they, they, there was, it was a very short time, I think it was about from, like, um, mid-70s to mid-80s. Mm-hmm. that they pulled back a lot of that stuff. It was all, that's where a lot of the verbals, it was back to, like, like Cary Grant and Rose and Russell and front page, that kind of, just there's a, like, really fast verbal talk. And so, like, uh, moonlighting and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. That's really interesting. So maybe they're going to, I actually, I have, I have nothing in sex. I'm just, I think it's much more interesting as a viewer to have a highly intellectual woman and a highly intellectual man going at it um, than yeah. to uh, see two uh, people just going at it sexually. I mean, you see that all the time, big whip. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I grew up, um, I got interested in punk music when I was about 14, and I kind of turned to, I was growing up in the 80s and sort of like the Reagan hyper-masculinist you know, pretty aggressive you know, war movies and and, you know, rah-rah and all that stuff and uh, I just was not interested Um, so I stopped kind of I just kind of turned away from most mainstream culture. I just wasn't that interested Um, and I started watching a lot of European movies um, which, you know, French movies French culture in general just has such a different approach to sexuality and nudity. And so as I was kind of coming of age, I was bathed in um, kind of a a much uh, less puritanical way of looking at the body and looking at sex. And my favorite, favorite, favorite movie when I was in high school was a movie called Betty Blue, which I haven't watched in about 20 years. So please don't judge me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it's like if I go back and watch it now. But it was so romantic and so painful and Bad Space Doll, who was the um, lead in that movie, was just so beautiful. It was basically a very, very, very romantic love story about a couple and the woman is um, very mentally ill and kind of loses it through the course of the movie. And imagine that told through a very French lens. It was very, very beautiful. It was very, very passionate. And they were naked and having sex all the time. I mean, the very first shot is a very, very wide shot. Like, you see the whole entire apartment. In the middle of the shot is the bed, and in the middle of the bed is the two of them going at it. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, the introduction to their relationship. And they have, you know, intense, important, meaningful conversations in the middle of the night where both of them are hardly wearing anything at all. You know, there's a, there's a scene with him later on after she's gone where he's kind of naked trying to fix a leaky tap. I mean, it's just, you know, just such a different kind of level of um, permission and, uh, you know, uh, a way of of storytelling that I I think is actually really real. Um, I mean, obviously, it was very, 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 very romantic, and romanticizing mental illness is probably pretty problematic if I go back and look at it now, but 
Um, but I loved that movie and um, and damaged also the Louis Mal film with um, Julia Binoche and she says almost nothing. She's got like two lines in that movie and is having sex all the like those movies. I really, I, I kind of feasted on them when I was really young. They made a big impression on me. And so in some ways, when I got to Hollywood, I kind of didn't really quite understand yeah. <laughs> what American versions of sex scenes and nudity were, which is a really different thing. It's it's really not, like, the, the sex scenes that I grew up on were really kind of a, a, a further extenuation of expression of a relationship, of a character. Um, and I don't think that's what we have so much. It is so interesting that our culture, and I'm Jewish, so I I don't include myself in some ways, but uh, the Puritan culture would clash with the sexual culture, and they're and and it's like they're always fighting with each other, and it's like as I look at it because I feel outside of it, I I think it's crazy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's like it's almost like it's manufactured to me because yeah. it doesn't seem logical or real, and yet it's so real to so many people that yeah, it just it doesn't make sense. I know, I well, I think it's actually part of the same thing. I think they're actually two sides of the same coin because you know anything that you repress is gonna it's gonna find its way back out, right? So we have the puritanical, you know, we have the Puritan work ethic and, and just how, I mean, everything's changing now and we're getting such a different perspective. Some of us who are taking a break, some people aren't, some people are working very, 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 very long, hard hours right now, like your brother. Yes. And for those people, I'm so very grateful. But for other people, we're taking a break and getting a little perspective on this stuff. But before we had a little perspective, it was just like longer and longer hours, more and more of a work week, you know, fewer and fewer days of rest, benefits, you know, vacation time, paid sick leave, all of that. I mean, never have we known how important paid sick leave is until now. Um, But then on the weekend, you have this massive, like, explosion of, like, binge, you know, sort of the, the necessary opposite of the Puritan work ethic is this crazy, like, go out and get drunk and be hungover and sleep all day and da-da-da, and then Monday is this horrible, awful, brutal thing, and we can't wait until Friday again. Um, and I think the sexuality is a very similar kind of thing. Like, if you have so much repression, you're going to end up with kind of weird, you know, little bits kind of exploding in strange ways, and you know, with all that repression comes shame, and and so we have this kind of bizarre, I would say, perverse relationship to kind of normal human, important part of normal human healthy life. It is weird, and it's it's like, I mean, I I am a lover of film and TV and theater, and I've seen as much as it as I possibly could, and what I haven't seen, I've read about. And one of the things I find interesting is the 1950s, the dichotomy of it. On one side, there's the sweet, nun-like characters, and on the other side, there's the vamps. Right. And the ones that are more popular, if you really look at the culture of the time, the more popular one is the vamps. But the people that the people are pushing are the sweet little... None like characters, and it's like, 
you guys look at yourself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right, Marilyn Monroe versus Doris Day. Yeah, and Doris Day wasn't like that in real life, and she even said that many times. <laughs> what, what did you say? Doris Day was not like that. You know, she yeah. played that, but right. she goes... Um, I was married at 17. I was not a virgin. Um, I had a child. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, so the whole thing is a house of cards, right? It's yeah. all built in fantasy. And it's a classic Madonna horror dichotomy thing, too. You know, where we, we want June Cleaver to be kind of holding up our standards of what femininity is supposed to be, but we really want to be, we want Marilyn in the bed, right? Yeah, and the other thing is that, like, with uh, I don't think Doris Day actually got to really have as much panache, and people wouldn't have remembered her as well if she didn't get to do the comedies that she did later on with Rock Hudson and James Gardner and Cary Grant, because they were she there she was sexy and there she got to be a woman where before she was this little virginal yeah. thing the nun person yeah. we were talking about. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Or as my daughter um, said recently, you know, you, you, if you, you're either a slut or a prude, and either way you lose. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the choices right now. And it's ridiculous. We got a lot of work to do. <laughs> I know. I mean, we gotta, that's another thing that our culture will not grow up until we start realizing a more rounded view of not just women, women and men, the, the, the way the culture is for both, it's not fair to either. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to um, ask you how you're dealing with the lockdown. Oh. It depends on when you ask. Um, <laughs> it really does. What day? What day are you talking about? Um, well, I adopted a cat. I adopted a kitten in December, and she was supposed to be spayed in February. And before she managed to get spayed, she got out, and she had a couple nights on the town. Oh no. Yeah, she came back smoking cigarettes, riding on the back of the motorcycle. <laughs> so we have six little baby kittens right now, which is, you know, I am a, I am a huge fan of, um, I'm a big believer. I I'm a big believer in adopting animals. I'm a big believer in spaying and neutering animals. I have never had an animal that wasn't spayed or neutered or, or got pregnant or anything like that. So this is not. Um, not being a good role model here, but the fact is that she did get pregnant and she did have babies five weeks ago, and it is the most delightful, wonderful, most delightful <laughs> that could have happened during this time because it's just, it's just wonderful. That said, I am sharing my bedroom with seven nocturnal roommates, and I am very tired. Oh, I so bet. There's that. I mean, they just get up and just like run circles around the house and you know or actually my room but um and last night my my 13 year old my 11 year old has been really really kind of she, she took this thing on but when she first caught 
wind of any possibility that there might be kittens coming. She became the expert. She's watched every YouTube video that you can find about kittens. She knows the kitten lady intimately. Not really, but her, her videos. Um, she's the expert. She knows so much about this stuff. She has literally said to me, Mom, uh, sorry, Mom, I know a lot more about giving birth and raising babies than you do. <laughs> <laughs>
and um, my brother had bought a microwave, and because we knew little curiosity would jump into the box, he took all the stuff, the foam and all the ties and everything out of the box and closed it. He was going to open it up by cutting the, the stuff, but like you said, my brother is one of the essentials. He's a mailman, and he's been working 12-hour days, and he was tired, so he said he was going to do it the next day. During the day, I heard crunch, 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 and I kept looking for her, and I couldn't find her, and I couldn't find what she was doing. And then um, I, was, I had an interview that I was doing in the evening, and after the interview, I came out, and he goes, I found her. I go, where is she? He goes, come here. And, and he pointed, and she, he, you, you could see her little head. She had actually torn a hole in the side of the box with her teeth and her paws and and she 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 goes I this is a great box I'm not gonna let it just sit here that's right that's right I'm not gonna let that box go to waste so uh had there so we cut a nice little window out for her and now she's got her own little house (laughs) much happier cat I'm sure much better. She's so funny. She, she's they're very creative. But yeah, you know the crazies that they go through, especially yeah. in at night. They start running yeah. around like someone's chasing them. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a little crazy. And now, now I've got now there's seven of them who do that. There used to be just one. <laughs> That's hard. I I have one, and one is more than enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I feel for you, Alex. Really, seven. Oh, and they're babies. <laughs> I know. Oh, they're so cute. I know. They're the best. They're the best. They're so fun and so funny and so delightful, and I love them all. And I wish I had a big farm so I could keep all of them. Mm. They're so cool. Yeah, I yeah. I love kittens. I love puppies. I love all animals. Are, I don't believe in this thing that you're either a cat person or a dog person. I love both. I Actually, I love her. all animals. Me too. Yep, I know. My daughters have somehow bought into it, and so they're sort of colonizing their their turf. You know, two of them are definitely dog people, and the other one is a kitten person. But she also loves our dog, and she's like, "Well, wait, I can love our dog too." And I'm like, "Dude." Who said that you can't love all the animals? That's crazy. I know. I actually, have, um, when I first uh, got pie, they're saying, well, you know, you lost your cat. Why aren't you getting a dog? If you said you said you like dogs, I go, cats self-maintain. I'm not always yes. here for to take care. And I, even though she she does chase after my brother like she was a dog. Um, <laughs> My my cats are pretty puppy-like, too, actually. Um, the mama is. And she, we got her. She was so young. They thought she was 10 weeks old when we got her, and I took her to the vet. And, um, you know, two weeks later, so I was like, so she should be 12 weeks old. And the vet was like, no, she still has her baby teeth. She's not. So she must have been so young. 
and she was found in the engine of a car oh. out in in the winter time in New Jersey. I mean, poor little thing. Oh. So she oh. spent a lot more time around children and dogs than she ever did around cats. And she will come to the door to greet you just like a dog. I mean, oh. with the dog. You know, the dogs will be like, "Hey, you're home," and you know, come over to say hi. And she'll come over too. She doesn't wag her tail, but she does come over and say hello. And um, and now her babies are starting to do that too. You walk in the room and they all come running. It's like a zombie movie. <laughs> you here we go. <laughs> They're all here. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's so cute. Oh. Yeah. Um, my fr- my cat before Pi was named Zena, and I actually got her. She was a fa- uh, foundling because I was working at a um, travel agency. And there was it was pouring rain, and there was brickwork all around where the parking lot was. And when we went out to get lunch for everybody, we could hear a cat crying, but we Aww. couldn't figure out where it was. We knew it was a kitten because it was like, meow, meow, meow. and so one of the ladies had tuna for lunch in her office so she brought out a can of tuna and called and this little tiny black tiny black thing came running down for the tuna oh and that's my cat that I adopted and nobody else wanted her or could take her or whatever and I said I'll take her (laughs) yeah yeah oh so sweet that was my Xena yeah yeah they're the best she was so cute. And my mom was always worried because, you know, the thing about black cats. And oh, so no. Black cats are the best. No, no, not my mom was worried about that. My mom was worried about other people who thought that way, especially around Halloween. Yeah, so, I was worried about that. So at Halloween, my mom wouldn't let at that point, my mom was older and we were living together. And my mom at Halloween would not let Zena look out the window. Yeah, your mom is smart. Your mom was a very smart woman. She was protecting yeah. her from the crazies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That was exactly the right thing to do yeah. with mama. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff makes me crazy. Don't yeah, I, I don't understand that. Yeah. Any of those superstitions, like walking under a ladder, any of that stuff, don't get it. <laughs> Irish, so I've, I've inherited a few superstitions. I You will find me knocking on wood, but... Um, but I think black cats are good luck, so. Oh, black cats are wonderful. She was, like, such a great cat. I took her to a convention, a Xena convention. Really? I took Xena to a Xena convention. It was Xena and me and my mom and my brother. We all went. Wow, that's quite a social cat. She was, well, she was stayed in her, in the room. Um, but when, uh, it was so funny when I was, we were waiting for a room when we got there, everybody came to look inside her, uh, carrier. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then when we left, everybody came, can we say hi? You know. <laughs> uh, of course. Of <laughs> Yeah, she was very popular. People liked her. <laughs> yeah. She was a beautiful cat. Pie's a beautiful cat. I mean, I love my new one, but yeah, Zena was special. Yeah, I think they're all special. Yeah, um, so I know we're in lockdown. Did you have anything that you wanted to let people know about that you might have done before? <laughs> <laughs> I have a 
in a um, in a thriller um, called What Death Leaves Behind. Ooh. And um, that's, I mean, little, it's a little part. It's an important part, but it's small. Um, and that you can find on, you know, your kind of um, video on demand places like Amazon and stuff like that. Um, and I heard Zena is doing a marathon right now. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff on all the old episodes you may have missed or forgotten about. I've actually really enjoyed watching it. Um, well, one of the good things is you can record it, uh, so you don't have to watch them all at the same time. <laughs> yes, 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 that's good. But I've actually really enjoyed watching it, because I haven't seen it for a long while, so it's kind of been fun. <laughs> Yeah, I'm getting a lot of um, people are reaching out. I think I think people are enjoying going back and seeing the old stuff again. You know, oh, especially it's been I, a while. I actually forgot to ask you a question. Was it written in that Aphrodite was sort of a valley girl, or was that something that you came up with? Uh, I definitely did not come up with that. Um, <laughs> That was written into the very first script, and um, the, I, so my first scene, my first episode of Afro, as Aphrodite was on, Z, on uh, not on Xena, but on Hercules, and I had never seen the show, <clears throat> and I got the audition, and I picked up the the scene that I was supposed to read, and I was confused immediately because I had in my head, you know, those Saturday afternoon kid shows with a cyclops and a monster and Hercules and I had this picture in my head of what that show would look like and then here's Aphrodite and she windsurfs in on the clamshell and her first line is tubular and I was completely confused and I called my agent and I was like is this a comedy? I don't understand. She was like it's not a comedy it's an action show but it's really funny it's campy just go for it and um, and I grew up loving campy stuff you know John Waters I grew up in Washington D.C. so John Waters right up the road in um, Baltimore was sort of one of my filmmaker heroes um, and so as soon as she said campy I was like oh I want in on this <laughs> so, so I I, uh, I worked on it and um, I, I pretty much always coach um, anything that's Anything that's big, any any um, anything that's difficult, um, I would work with my acting teacher. And so when I booked the part, I coached a lot um, to get this character together. And you know, every character you play is an angle of yourself in many ways. But there's also parts of it that are, you know, not as familiar, not as comfortable, and you know, her sort of raunchy. May West kind of va va voom thing is not. It's now much more part of my repertoire. It was then. It was not. I mean, I was. You know, I, I studied feminist theory in college. I was pretty much of an intellectual. I was not like. I did not wear a wonder bra before I did that show. I mean, I never wore a wonder bra when I wasn't on TV. But um, you know, that wasn't. I I didn't sort of lead. That wasn't my lead feature in my head anyway. So. Um, I had to do a lot of work to kind of make that feel part of, you know, bring out that part of her character and, and fulfill that properly. And and then the comedy and the ridiculous anachronistic humor, the Valley Girl stuff, all of that. I worked on all of that. Um, 
so that by the time I got to New Zealand, I, I really had a sense of, of what was going on, where she was coming from, and how she spoke, and how she moved, and how to play these scenes. And, you know, your job as an actor is to show up with all of that and then also be completely ready to throw it all out the door, depending on what everybody else comes up with. You know, you have all that work. Well, that's the way I approach my work anyways. I, I do all that work ahead of time, and then I show up and, to the, to the extent possible, kind of improvise off using all of that as kind of a springboard. And I arrived, and Kevin Sorbo, who played Hercules, was directing that episode. It was his first time directing. And he pulled me aside right before our first read-through, and he said, listen, um, I don't know about this whole Valley Girl thing. I don't think it works. And I went, <clears throat> and he said, um, but listen, one of the great things about working in New Zealand is the producers aren't here. They're in LA so we can kind of do whatever we want so if you want to just sort of like rewrite it you know I was thinking maybe she should be like a uptight kind of horsey girl from Connecticut and I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god I was panicking I was like I, I, I can't rewrite this we're about to do the read through I can't rewrite her dialogue and you know and I've done all this work to get it the way I thought it should be and you know I just I had a little moment with myself and I was like okay if he wants that we can work on that, but I can't possibly do that in the next three minutes before this read-through starts. So I'm just going to do what I plan to do and see what they think. And he's my director, so if he wants me to change it, I will certainly change it. But just do what you came here to do. And um, and I did that, and then um, and and they laughed. And then afterwards, um, we were chatting, and I said, "Listen, I didn't do the horsey girl from Connecticut." And he cut me off. He was like. Don't even think about it. Just do, do, keep doing that thing you're doing. <laughs> I was like, okay. So um, that was the that was the writers. That was, um, I mean, I I took it and made it my own as much as I could. But that was that came from them. I thought it was and brilliant. I, I just it was the last was, thing you expect for Aphrodite. <laughs> yes, it was really really fun. And then from there, you know, then we then we could play. Like once we kind of knew who she was, then we could play from there and. Um, you know, some of the writers really had a blast with it, and some of the directors had really fun ideas, and some of them kind of just didn't, and, and but I did, and you know, we all <laughs> we had her for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, before we close, I just um, wanted your thoughts because I loved him, and we all miss him. And I know you guys miss him. Um, Kevin Smith. Um, yeah. He was such a wonderful, incredibly diverse actor. It's so sad. Uh, did yeah. you want to talk about him at all? He was just such a love. He was just such a delightful man. He was so sweet and um, he was such a good guy. You know, he um, he was really hardworking. He was definitely a Kiwi bloke, meaning down-to-earth and no BS and, you know, in early and out late and always, um, you know, always cheerful, always, always supportive, um, did not take himself seriously, had a great sense of humor, and he was also just gorgeous, yeah. you know, and... <laughs> 
he had this wife he was so devoted to and these children he was so devoted to and he would go out I had I had a script I, I donated it to an auction it got auctioned off I wonder who got it and where it is now but I had one time um, I we were in the makeup trailer together and he said something like yeah on Friday night let's go and you know have a one a couple of rotors or something like that and I was like a one or a rotor what are, what are these things and so I started making a list of Kiwi slang on the back of my script and um, most of them were alcohol related and uh, and most of them came from Kevin and so we said that like Friday night we went out afterwards for a couple of drinks and um, you could see I mean you know he was a gorgeous man and you could see these women kind of like clocking him from across the room and coming over to chat him up and he was such a gent and he would be so kind and sweet and you know laugh with them or whatever and then take out his um, this is my memory of him I don't know if this is even really a memory or if I've told the story as an example of what he would do so much that it's become a memory I'm not sure but my memory of him is you know being sweet and kind these women who are all fawning all over him and then taking out his wallet and showing him pictures of his wife and his kids Aww. you know and just sort of very gently being like and this is the woman that I am completely committed to and in love with you know and they kind of look a little sad and wander away how brilliant you know, of him though that kind of, like make sure that you got in the cab safely and then he'd go off down the road and meet up with some other maids for another one <laughs> What, how brilliant of him, though. That's really... Because um, I've been involved with different fandoms, and one thing I've noticed, and it's just strange, is that people mix up characters with the actor. Some people don't yeah. even know the actor's name, which... It, I, maybe because yeah. I was raised in L.A., I don't know, but I think that's bizarre. Um, yeah. So yeah. that he handles it that beautifully kudos I mean I mean I already adored him but that's just yeah. brilliant yeah he's a he's a good guy he's a really really good guy um we're gonna have to close out I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show do you have um any social media that you can share so people can say hi oh sure yeah um so I'm on, and of course none of them are the same names, annoyingly, <laughs> on Twitter, oh wait, hold on, I don't want to get them backwards, <laughs> on Twitter I'm at Alex Tidings, A-L-E-X-T-Y-D-I-N-G-S, and on Instagram I'm A Tidings, so um, there you go, and on Facebook, I'm, I'm one of those also. Um, there's some imposters on Facebook, but um, if it's if it looks like a headshot of me, then that's that's the one that's me. I don't know what's my Facebook name, Alexander Tidings. But it, Facebook is weird. I might be going off of Facebook. I'm um, pretty unhappy with how they're handling their responsibility politically right now. So um, so Instagram's probably the best place to find me, but Twitter also. Okay, that's great. Uh, Instagram's become my favorite. It's weird. It's Kind of fun, you know. I, I I grew up on Facebook, and it's 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 kind of the medium that works the best for me because I really like um, sharing articles, and I like having kind of a, a bit more. I like writing, and I like reading what smart friends of mine write. You know, like right now, 
I don't know when your listeners will hear this podcast, but right now we are in the shock of the aftermath of, um, this is named Lloyd, Lloyd, Lloyd George, was that his name, the man who was killed? Oh, yes. By the police? I think, I think, that um, was, yeah, I think that's correct. George Floyd, sorry, George Floyd. Um, and it's, you know, we're all sort of reeling from the horror of that, and, you know, we saw it on TV, we saw this man who killed, and it's so upsetting, and I, when I go on Instagram, I see, you know, I see the statement that Kamala Harris wrote about it, which is excellent, and I see some things that people have, have put together, some images and memes, which are really good, but I like, you know, most of my, most of my really smart friends aren't on Facebook anymore, but the ones that still are, you know, they'll, they'll repost an article and then they'll, and they'll write a little bit about it. And I just like that kind of interface. I like talking. Um, I like the ability to have a little bit more of an intellectual conversation than you can have with Twitter or Instagram. Twitter is just so short and Instagram is just so, uh, so visual. Um, but I, I, the Facebook thing is, it's really upsetting me how, how much they're not um, taking responsibility for what what they're contributing to politically in the world right now. So, um, so yeah, everybody's already migrated over to Instagram. I'm sort of, I'm grandma bringing up the, the rear, but, um, but I'm getting over there. If you follow me on Instagram right at this very moment, you will mostly see pictures of kittens. I'm sorry. It's, 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 it's really the best thing I have to contribute to the world right now. <laughs> <laughs> I actually agree with you. Um, I use, uh, I love Facebook because I can promote my stuff. Yeah. And I love, I don't love in uh, Twitter. Um, yeah. I don't. I'm sorry. Um, but it's a great place to promote. Um, but yeah. Instagram and face Facebook still is where my friends are. And Instagram. Those are where my yeah. friends are. So I talk that's where I talk to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a lot easier to have you can have more of a conversation on Facebook than you can on the other platforms. And Twitter, what I don't like about Twitter is just that it's so easy for the trolls and the haters to come find you. It's really you know, sometimes if I'm feeling a little raw, I'm a little bit of an empath and I kind of soak up people's emotions pretty easily. I think a lot of actors do. And, um, and so if I'm feeling a little raw or vulnerable or sensitive, I, I can't, I don't go on Twitter because I just don't want to see some hateful thing that somebody tweeted back at me. If I, I said Black Lives Matter and then they got mad at me and they want to see something hateful, I just don't want to read it sometimes. You know, and there's not really a way... To, to screen for that. I know, and that's another thing is that it's more, when you're on Facebook, you're controlled. You can say, yeah. this person's my friend, this person's not my friend. You can you don't yeah. have to accept every person who asks to be your right. friend. Yeah, exactly. That's the yeah. good thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's the so true. Yeah, so I think I'll probably start doing more um doing more my 11 year old monitors my Instagram she doesn't monitor Facebook because it's irrelevant but it's <laughs> irrelevant okay <laughs> yep um, but she monitors my my Instagram I'm not on TikTok that is the most relevant platform according to my children but I'm, I'm not that I'm not there yet but 
Um, but she monitors my Instagram, and she tells me when I have too many kitten photos. Aww. <laughs> you can't have too many kitten photos. <laughs> she said I'm allowed to put the kitten photos in my stories, but not on my feed. It's just too much. I look like a crazy cat lady. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't yeah. blame you. I don't blame you. I love cats. I love dogs. I love all animals. I mean, I'm always, like, sharing pictures of, oh, look at that pretty polar bear. Oh, look at those poor uh, tigers. <laughs> I'm always sharing endangered species. Anyway, I want to say to you. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter, um, and maybe on Facebook for five more minutes, but find me on Instagram is probably the best place. Okay. Instagram's the best. All right. Thank you, Alex. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Sherry. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.